of advice is too much. <laughs> so I want to make a little deal with you this morning, and that is the more you talk in our discussion, the less I'll talk, and that means, Lord willing, I'll be able to talk next hour and not have a problem like you did last week. So can we kind of agree to, like, I want you to participate anyway, but it's like doctor's orders <laughs> that you participate more and talk more, so I talk less. Is that, can we do that? So we are in Hebrews 12 in a minute, but just to review, how does the end of Hebrews 11 help us respond to the idea that if you have enough faith, you'll always have a happy outcome, and if you don't get a happy outcome, it's because you didn't have enough faith. How does the end of Hebrews 11 help us address that? And all that was by faith. So the, there were people that conquered and had lots of victories by faith. And there were people that endured suffering by faith. Faith doesn't necessarily mean you escape suffering or never have to deal with it. It's you endure suffering by faith just like you conquer by faith. So um, end of Hebrews 11 is, is just uh, so helpful to counteract that mindset which keeps coming at us from different circles. Um, do you remember some of the phrases that help silence uh, this is your best life now approach to Christianity? Well, the, the entire Bible would work. You're right, um, Amber, that's a good answer. Um, but right in the end of Hebrews 11, um, we saw... There's no guarantee of nice new clothes because why? Right, so there's people that are walking around sheepskins and goatskins. And what about you aren't guaranteed a nice new house because why? What were some of the phrases we saw in Hebrews 11? Right, that, was, that certainly doesn't sound like your best life now. Um, right. And wandering around the wilderness, which kind of sounds almost homeless. How about not necessarily guaranteed to have lots of money? What was the word that gets used? Destitute, which means extreme poverty. Not even just middle class, like extreme poverty. And then, last but not least, that you won't have, that you'll have an easy, trouble-free life. What were a couple words? Yeah, afflicted and mistreated. So that doesn't sound like comfy and fun. So again, Hebrews 11, whole Bible, right, Amber said, but in a little more concentrated place, Hebrews 11 gives us a, a, a more well-rounded perspective of what to expect in this life uh, and that faith doesn't exempt us from those kinds of trials and tribulations and sufferings that are common to um, the human race.
Um, any other comments or questions about enduring suffering by faith instead of being exempt from suffering because you have enough faith? Okay. Why is the Christian life like a race? We're going into Hebrews 12 now. Why is the Christian life compared to a race both here and in 1 Corinthians 9 and in Acts 20 and 2 Timothy 4? Okay, good, good. So there's a striving. Yes, there's energy and exertion and willing to make sacrifices because the prize is worth it. And why do, what do we need for the long distance race of the Christian life? It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. So what do we need? And that's right in the text. Endurance. So Lord willing, um, we're going to talk about endurance in the morning message from Romans 5 this morning. All right, well, let's pick it up in chapter 12. Would somebody read 4 through 6? Hebrews 12, 4 through 6. So the author of Hebrews quotes Proverbs 3, says, have you forgotten this text? And, um, but we probably need to define some terms. So what do we usually think when we hear the word discipline? What do we usually think of? Part of it? Okay, so you're a bad person, you did bad choices, so you need... To experience negative consequences or punishment, right? Okay, what does the word pedagogy mean? A little louder? Teaching, okay. So it's the art or science of teaching, especially children, and what's your clue for that? PED, right? Or PD, yeah, so pediatrics, right? children's medicine so it's the word that is translated discipline in our bibles there is the word that gives us the word pedagogy okay and so we need to realize here's a definition training instruction bringing up children all that parents do to shape their children including correction and negative consequences but not limited to that I think that will really help us to understand Hebrews 12 better if we don't only see it as you get negative consequences because you did something wrong. That is included, but it's much bigger than that. Okay, so let's look at some places where that same word is used in the Bible to just show it's really about training and instruction and not punishment. Right, so Proverbs 22.6. Proverbs 22.6. Six. Okay. 
So there's, that's the word. This time it's translated train instead of discipline, it's just because it's the same word. It's train. Um, someone read Ephesians 6, 4. Ephesians 6, verse 4. Okay, so um, if you have NIV, it says bring them up in the training. Or if you have King James, it says the nurture. Okay, not just discipline, it's bigger than that. Um, would somebody read 2 Timothy 3.16? 2 Timothy 3.16. Okay, what word do you think is pedagogy in that verse? Training. Okay, we don't say for punishment in righteousness. We say for training in righteousness. Okay, and one last one. Oh, two more. Titus 2, 11 and 12. Titus 2, 11 and 12. So instructing, ESV has training us to deny ungodliness and to learn righteousness. So, um, and then right in Hebrews 12, when we get to verse 11, those who are trained by it. So, so we need to maybe change our synapses when we hear discipline in Hebrews 12. We're talking about all that God uses as instructive and corrective experiences in the overall training of his children and shaping their character. Okay. So can you think of some examples in the New Testament of different kinds of discipline, preventative, instructive, and negative consequences in the New Testament? Can you think of some examples? I have one of each. John, you said you were in 1 Corinthians. I don't know if you got to 1 Corinthians 11 yet. Somebody read 1 Corinthians 11, 30. Okay, so context there is not observing the Lord's Supper appropriately. And there was disciplinary action, you might say. There were negative consequences so that many in the church at Corinth were sick and some had even died. This is how seriously the Lord takes his supper. Something to think about when we take it, Lord willing, next Sunday. Uh, it's, it's serious. If you're in 1 Corinthians, go to 2 Corinthians. And here is what I would say an example of instructive Discipline, Second Corinthians one, eight and nine.
Okay, so can you see here God ordained that Paul suffer very much, but the goal was to teach him to trust the Lord and not in himself. So it was an instructive discipline. It wasn't punishing. It was you need a lesson to be reinforced in your life. You're tempted to trust yourself and your own resources and your own strength. You need to depend on my power and so I'll put you in a situation where your power is hopelessly inadequate in order to teach you to depend on me. So it's instructive discipline. There wasn't punishment. It was something Paul needed to learn, and maybe we need to learn. And then also in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. So what was the goal of this thorn that's mentioned twice? Yeah, exalting himself or being conceited. So uh, the verses before that, he said, I was taken up to the third heaven, saw things that are unlawful to speak. <laughs> um, it'd be tempting to like, hey, I got to go to heaven and see things you didn't get to see. Um, we'd be tempted to do that, and Paul was tempted to do that, and so... God gave him a thorn to prevent that from happening. It's preventative discipline. It's a mercy so he doesn't succumb to pride. So, so those are some examples of the kinds of tools in God's toolbox of discipline. It's not just negative consequences because we messed up. That is a valid option, but it's also instructive and preventative training and instruction for us to grow so any comments or questions on that so far all right let's oh what is the connection between love and discipline So right in the text, verse 6 says, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And let's look at, the, that's only part of the verse. Let's go to Proverbs 3.12 for the rest of it. Proverbs. Somebody read Proverbs 3.12. Okay, so Solomon compares the Lord's love for his children with a father who loves his children as expressed by discipline. Um, go to Proverbs 13.24. Proverbs 13.24.
Okay, so how does our culture misquote that verse? Spare the rod. Spoil the child. And we've all seen that, right? <laughs> but this says, spare the rod, hate your child. Isn't that interesting? But if you love your child, you discipline them diligently. So again, this connection between love and discipline, not love is, doesn't discipline, love does. And one last example that would be Revelation 3.19 Revelation 3.19. Okay, so, so far we've said discipline includes instruction and training and not just negative consequences, and it's motivated by love for our good. Okay, let's read 12, 7, and 8 of Hebrews 12. So 12, 7, and 8. Um, no, just plus 8. So what is discipline evidence of in these verses? Peak son. So we belong to God's family if we experience discipline. If we don't experience discipline, we aren't in God's family. So an example I use for this is uh, in Awana, over the years I've been sassed, hit, kicked, um, assorted other indignities, as an Awana leader by these kids, um, but I don't discipline them. Why not? Even though I'm tempted. They're not my kids. <laughs> and again, we've, we've all seen this. I mean, you've seen it at the store. You've seen it in church, maybe. You've seen it in visiting grandkids. Uh, undisciplined kids are not fun to be around. It's, it's a problem. And so when it's your kids, you, you discipline them, but you can't discipline those kids at the store or somebody else's kids. So that's the argument the author is using here. God loves his children. He loves them so much he will discipline. If you aren't disciplined, it's a bad sign that God is not really your father. Um, any questions or comments on that? I think of uh, a view of God's sovereign over everything means whatever happens for our own screw-ups is part of God's plan and not just karma or random things that happen as consequences. It's if we're his child, he's ordaining things to happen that get our attention. So it's, it's not like there's anything that happens in this world that's not him. <laughs> 
working in us or for us. That, does that help? Okay. Any other comments or questions on that? No, no, and that's, a, that's good, and, and I think most of us are, are, have had pretty relatively calm lives, and again, I think that's where remembering a discipline is bigger than just negative things. It's instruction and training, so if God's been shaping you over the years through his word, through his spirit, through circumstances, that's his training in your life, which is evidence of sonship. It doesn't just mean, oh, I had this, I had that, I've gone through all these trials, that must be God's discipline, therefore I must be a son. It's like discipline's bigger than just the, the negative things. So, um, so that's a good question, but I think remembering the words bigger might, might help anyway. Mark? Coming from a carpenter, that's perfect. Just a little tap will do it, huh? Oh, that's helpful, Mark. That's helpful. Need a sledgehammer, huh? <laughs> Two by four or something, yeah. Exactly, yeah. It's everything God uses in the lives of his children to shape their conduct and shape their character so just right and that's why it's important to know what word is being used and looking all the examples of its translated training and instruction in other places to say yeah we have tended to make a very narrow definition here and then we've limited how much we get out of Hebrews 12 because then we only think okay I had a car accident it's probably because I Argued with my wife on the way before I left. That's how we think. God's disciplining me. And maybe he is. But that's not the only way God trains his children. Um, he uses his word. He uses brothers and sisters. He uses lots of things to shape and instruct and get us where he wants us to be. Including, but not only, negative things. Jan. <clears throat> Hopefully. <laughs> well, you have children, and sometimes the notes, yep, yep, sure. <laughs> yep, yep. Think we've been there, Jan. <laughs> yeah, so it's nice if just a no or a, a little look, a little sideways glance, like, uh, you know, that's enough. But yeah, sometimes it takes more. Tom. <laughs> yeah, no, no rocks coming your way, Tom. Yeah, you're right. So, yeah, there's. I just talk, uh, had a conversation on Friday. Uh, a guy was sharing how 
he wasn't raised in a Christian home and didn't learn a lot of helpful things about being a dad from his dad. And, and the conversation kind of went to, but we, we, we as believers have a perfect, absolutely perfect father in heaven. He gave us a whole Bible to show how he deals with his children. And, and that's where we learn. And so here he's telling us, here's how our father trains and instructs us. But yeah, it's, it's coming out of Proverbs 3, which is directed to parents <laughs> disciplining your kids. And then, oh, that's how God disciplines us too. So yeah, learn from our perfect father how to discipline our kids or teaching our kids how to discipline their kids. It is about love. It is about not anger. It is about character development. It is all those things which in our better moments we know and in our unhappy moments <laughs> we're, we're letting fly. But um, again, we're all in process. including <laughs> In our parenting years, we, we mess up a lot. Um, and thankfully, our kids are pretty resilient <laughs> and, and get through it. But, um, but our, our father is per- never messes up, which is interesting enough. What's coming in the next verses is like he compares even earthly fathers did their best <laughs> and we respected them. How much more should we submit to the father of lights and live? So, so the author knows human parents aren't perfect because he probably was one too. But he says, but God is perfect in how he does this. So that's a good, good reminder, Tom. So any other comments on God's love and what discipline means and doesn't only mean? Right. Sure. No, that's a great point, Scott. Yeah, no man's an island, so we're all interconnected with each other. Our, you know, we're connected to our kids and grandkids and, and other family members, and so it's all interconnected. So yeah, what God's doing over here does affect us. I mean, it's like trickle down and, um, or dominoes or whatever you call it, and, and God uses what this person's doing or not doing to shape us and shape other people we might not even know. And, and again, God is always up. I mean, you've heard the quote before. God's doing a thousand things, and we might guess a few of them. You know, so he's working in all the parties involved. We see only a very thin slice, um, and we're perceiving what's going on in our hearts in reaction to things, and how God might be using that to shape our attitudes and our responses. But yeah, he's busy... <laughs> working in all kinds of other people, too. Tom?
I just had a conversation with a dad this week, different dad, um, that as parents we mess up and we need to confess that to our kids. And one thing Angela and I tried to do is that's why mom and dad need a savior too. Because <laughs> we mess up, we still sin, we still blow it, we still need a savior just like you. So it's it's about the gospel. It's about Christ. And it's not just, you're the only one in this house that messes up and mom and dad are perfect. It's like, we're all a bunch of sinners here. We all need grace. We all need Christ. And, and I think that keeps a healthier um, environment than if it's, it's just, you know, coming down on kids and we're never, you know, at fault for anything. Other comments or questions? Go for it. It's just a, a, one more symptom of being lost that's very sad. You know, you don't have anyone outside yourself. You just listen to your own little voice about how to live life. And, and life doesn't make sense when things don't go well. You just get mad at life or, you know, shake your hand at your fist at the sky or whatever. It's like I, I don't have any reality to ground what's happening in. It's just I don't like this and I'm mad. Um, but I don't have a God to go to for help or mercy or instruction. I'm, I'm just on my own, which is a very scary place to be in this world. And, and I think we've all seen, you know, unbelievers really struggle when rough things happen because they don't have God to go to. They're just going in their own strength and their own wisdom to figure it out. And that's hopelessly insufficient. Oh, yeah, that's my best attempt, Patrick. <laughs> I don't know. Anybody you want to add to Patrick's question or comment? Hmm. Okay, good, good. There's always hope. Right. There's a, a quote you've probably heard from C.S. Lewis. It says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He shouts to us in our pain. P 
pain is God's megaphone to awaken a deaf world. So yeah, God uses the hard things of life to get our attention sometimes so that we do turn to him because nothing else and no one else will do. It's like we get desperate and you know, God is the last resort. Maybe he wasn't our first resort, but God uses that sometimes to bring people to himself. So, Okay, any other thoughts before we keep going in Hebrews? Okay, would somebody read 9 through 11? Through 11, please. Thank you. So you, you see this comparison, and my version says, they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. <laughs> so you do the best you can at the moment, and sometimes that's out of anger. Sometimes that's you didn't know all the facts. Oh, you didn't hear the other part of the story. <laughs> You're spanking the wrong kid. I mean, it, it gets messed up. And, and the author knows that and says, our, our, fathers, our earthly fathers did their best. We still respected them. But we have a perfect father who never gets it wrong, never overdoes it, never doesn't have all the facts. He's perfect in how he trains and instructs and chastens us. So what are some of the purposes of God's discipline and training that we see in these verses? Okay, share in his holiness. And why is it important to share in his holiness? If you go down like to verse 14. Okay, that's pretty important. Without holiness, no one, no exceptions, will see the Lord. God uses discipline that we share in his holiness. So that's big. We want to be holy. We're called to be holy. And sometimes God needs to do some instruction and correcting and training to get us to be more holy. <laughs> because we won't see him without that. And then right before that, what's the phrase? That's an outcome of sharing his holiness for our, for our good. Which is going to show up in the morning message as well. It's for our good. And then, what is discipline like at the time? Painful, not pleasant. Not joyful, but sorrowful. So again, Bible's very realistic. <laughs> doesn't say, oh, this is great. It's not fun. But what does it yield or produce? Right. 
Right. So that's, that's a good goal. Have a harvester, the fruit of righteousness, doing what's right in God's sight. So any comments or questions on the outcomes or purposes of discipline that are in these verses? It's for our good, it's for our holiness, it's for our righteousness. It's out of love, he already said that. So again, we need to see it the way God sees it. Well, yeah, Mark, that's a great segue. So there, the author gives us two th ways not to respond to the Lord's discipline and one specific instruction how we are. So let's look at the, one, the two ways we're not to respond. What's the first one? You have to go back to verse 5. Regard it lightly. So what would that mean? Oh, okay. I hadn't seen it that way, Patrick. That's interesting. Yeah, that might be it. I don't know. Uh, yeah, so where I landed and I hadn't thought of Patrick's angle is not seeing the true value of it. If you regard it lightly, you don't see it as heavy or important enough. Um, and so therefore you don't see it as necessary. If you take it lightly, it's, it's not necessary. So you might say something like, I don't need this right now. Have you ever said that? I have. I don't need this right now. I've got enough going on. Okay, I'm regarding what God's doing lightly. I'm not taking it seriously enough. I'm not seeing the value of it. I'm taking it too lightly. And then the other is fainting or being weary, which would be what? Getting discouraged. Yeah. I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I, I, this is too much. I can't take this. I'm fainting under this. Shelly. And, you know, he already said it's not joyful or it's sorrowful. So he, he, he's already acknowledged this isn't a picnic. But he's encouraging us, don't faint under it. Okay, so there's a difference between this is hard and giving up. And the whole book of Hebrews is about endurance. 
So he's saying, yeah, I get it's hard. He already said that. But don't give up. Don't quit. Don't faint. Hang in there. Okay, Shelly wants to chime in. Go ahead, Shelly. Yeah, especially he's already told us that in the verses before. He, he's doing this out of love. He's doing this for your good. He's doing, so don't faint. There's good reasons. God loves you. He's going to get you through this. So yes, it's hard, but don't faint under it. Yes, I believe all of those things. And I help my unbelief, right? Yes. That's fair. All been there. But I it's tempting, isn't it? I've done that. And, and maybe a, a point worth making off Amberson is the Bible gets that we're humans and that it's hard, okay? He knows our frame. He knows we're but dust. So there's a difference between something being understandable and something being okay. So it's un understandable for us to whine or complain when we're having a tough time. Nobody's going to go, oh, you're a terrible person. We all get it because we all do that. That's different than saying it's okay to whine and complain. God says, don't complain. God says, don't whine. Not in a quit your belly aching way, but in a don't faint. I've got good and wise and loving purposes for this, so don't give up. Endure. You know, so yes, he gets that we're going to be tempted to complain and whine, and it's hard. Yes, period. And that doesn't just give us a free ticket to whine all we want, complain all we want, just be surly all we want because we're having a tough time. God calls us to a higher calling than that, and he gives us grace to be able to do something more than just whine. Not really. No, it isn't true. But I feel like I get to that point sometimes. Yeah. Well, just let us know what day that's going to be, and we'll kind of give you some space. <laughs> Rodney. Amen. That's a great comment. And maybe that would be a good place to just tie up one last response. So he says, don't regard it lightly. Don't grow weary under it. How are we to respond to it? Do you see the verb for how we're to 
respond to the Lord's discipline. In verse 9, it talks about being subject to the Father of spirits. So the idea of submission to our Heavenly Father as good and wise and loving and knowing what's best for us, instead of resisting or complaining or getting mad at God, we accept what God is doing by faith. We trust Him that he does all things well, including whatever it is we're doing at the time, that that's for our good. It's training us in righteousness, helping us share in his holiness. It's conforming us to the image of Christ. It's doing all these things that are for our spiritual benefit. And so we accept it from a father's loving hand and not, eh, I don't like this. Okay? Even though it's tempting to be there, that's not where you can stay. Okay. So let's close in prayer. And uh, Lord will, we'll come back to Hebrews 12 next week. So why don't we?